Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. This morning, I want to invite you to join me back in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, where we're going to finish our series on the heroes of the faith. Staff Sergeant Leroy Petrie, it might not be a name that you know, but let me tell you what he did for the people of our great nation. The date was May 26 of 2008. The place was Paktia province, Afghanistan. And Staff Sergeant Leroy, he was a weapons squad leader with D Company, 2nd Battalion, 75th Ranger Regiment. Petrie, he moved to go clear a courtyard in a house, and it was thought to have some high-value combatants in this home. And while he was crossing the courtyard, Petrie and another ranger were engaged and wounded by fire from the enemy fighters. And still under fire, wounded actually in both legs, Petrie led the other rangers to cover. Then he radioed in and reported the situation, and he engaged the enemy with a hand grenade, and he threw that at him, providing suppression fire so another ranger could advance to his position for help. Then the enemy responded, and they got closer and closer, and they started throwing grenades back at him. And the first grenade explosion actually knocked his two fellow rangers down to the ground and wounded both of them with shrapnel. Then a second grenade landed only just a few feet away from them. And instantly realizing the danger, Petrie, he didn't hesitate at all. He deliberately just moved forward, kept moving forward and forward and forward. And he picked up that grenade in an effort to clear the immediate threat from them. He threw the grenade away from the fellow soldiers, the fellow rangers. And as he threw that grenade, it detonated and it amputated his right hand at the wrist with the shrapnel of this grenade coming back at him but it saved all the lives of the men with him. And think of the presence of mind that this guy actually had. Despite all the wounds, he kept enough presence of mind to be able to place a tourniquet on his wrist before communicating the situation by radio in order to get help for the other wounded soldiers. You know, a hero like that, it teaches us something. A hero sacrifices himself for the good of others. If you think of Moses, Moses was a hero. Certainly we would agree with that. Moses was a hero of the faith. He gave up a comfortable life to lead a nation of basically what? Complainers through the wilderness, the desert for 40 years. Gideon, we think of Gideon. He left the safety of his hideout to face an army of a thousand times greater than his. Abraham left the home he grew up in to follow God to a strange new place. Here is what I have found in the Christian faith. If you want to be used by God, you have to be willing to sacrifice to do his will. The very idea of a hero, if you think about what a hero is, they are someone who forgets about themselves. They surrender their will, their desires to ignore their own desires for the good of other people. 
And this really describes for us what God is looking for in his people, because daily we face the onslaught of the enemy. Daily we are exposed to temptations and trials. And the flesh, our bodies, they always cry out for the easy way. Our spirit, though, demands endurance. Because that is what people of faith do. They endure no matter the cost, no matter the sacrifice. They step up and are willing to serve when no one else will. And the promise is to those that walk by faith is that we will reign with Christ if we live with this type of faith. Now, one of my favorite heroes in the Old Testament is Isaiah. And you remember, of course, that God spoke to Isaiah, and I love his response. Isaiah 6, 8, it's a very classic verse. It says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. And that really begs the question for all of us as believers in Christ. Are we willing to go? Are we willing to serve Christ when no one else is? Because that is what we see in Hebrews 11. That is what we see for heroes of the faith in the word of God. Men and women who said that their desire was to do God's will. So this is what we see in Hebrews 11. Let's walk through it this morning. We start in verse 30. It says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Now, if you're following in Hebrews, verse 29 is the Exodus, the people of God coming out of Egypt. Verse 30 jumps to Jericho. Nothing mentioned, you notice, in the text about the wilderness wandering of the people of Israel. And there's actually a reason that they're not mentioned. They didn't walk by faith. That's why they're not mentioned. And if you remember, that was the subject back in chapters 3 and 4, that the called out people of God, the redeemed people of God, they rebelled. And then what happened to them? They died. They died. But after that generation passed away, a new generation came up on the scene that did walk by faith. You know, Jericho was a fortified city designed to protect the land from invasion from the east. Human wisdom would have said, I mean, if you were thinking about this from man's point of view and you were coming upon Jericho, what would you do in that day? You'd get as many soldiers as you could. You'd get out the shields. You'd get out the sword. You would lay siege to the city of Jericho. But faith had a better way. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho in Joshua 6. God told them to march around the city once a day for six days and then seven times on the seventh day. And then Joshua told them to shout when they heard the trumpets. It must have seemed absolutely ridiculous to do this, to just start walking around this fortified city, to start walking around these soldiers that are up on the walls. But that is what God told them to do. And so they believed God. They followed his instructions and God brought those walls down. Now, this was their first victory in the land because they obeyed. Verse 31 is actually an amazing verse for a lot of reasons. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. When Joshua had planned to take Jericho, he sent spies into the city and they met Rahab there and she hid them. Now, who was Rahab? Of course, she was a Gentile, but she was also a prostitute. And she demonstrated her faith in God when she took those spies in and trusted God to spare her when Jericho was destroyed. 
Rahab said to the men in Joshua 2.9, she said, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And then just a couple of verses later, she said this, for the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Somehow, we're not exactly sure how, but somehow God had revealed himself to her. He had revealed his truth to her. She knew that God was going to give this city of Jericho to God's people. Joshua 2 tells us that Rahab had heard of the work of God to deliver his people. You see, the Hebrew people up until this point, they had defeated the other nations. The Hebrew people, you remember that they had crossed the Jordan River. They were marching forward by the power of God. Faith led Rahab to see the spies not as the enemy. And so when the city fell, Joshua commanded for her to be spared. Out of all the families of Jericho, here in this city, one family, just one, was spared. Why? Because Rahab had faith. Don't miss the lesson here in the word of God that your value to God as a person, it has nothing to do with who you were before your salvation in Jesus Christ. You see, some of the Hebrew people may have thought that she didn't belong because she was a disgusting Gentile prostitute. It doesn't get much worse than that. Rahab, though, if you know the story, she went on to marry a Hebrew. They had a son and his name was Boaz the husband of Ruth and great-grandfather of David. And from Rahab came who? The line of the Messiah. God's work in history is not limited by human failures. He works through people. He works through fallen sinners. Rahab was not saved because of who she was. She was saved because of who God is. God rescued her. She trusted God to rescue her when her world was literally falling apart. Sometimes I like to read stories about people who are a little, little bit, oh, let's just use the word dense and do some foolish things. And 24-year-old Danny Simpson of Ottawa, Canada, he learned a hard lesson about using wisdom and, and failing to use wisdom. He was sentenced to six years in prison for robbing a bank and then stealing about $6,000. The gun that he used in the holdup was a Colt 45 caliber pistol. And it was impounded by the police after he got caught where it was recognized to be an antique made in 1918 by the Ross Rifle Company. It was one out of only a hundred of these that was ever made back during World War I. And it ended up in a museum because it was worth anywhere from $12,000 on the low end to up to $100,000 on the collector's market. Now, Simpson, he could have walked into any old gun shop, anyone that there was, and sold the pistol for at least twice what he got from the bank without breaking the law. Now, if Simpson would have known what he had in his hands, he wouldn't have ended up in jail. And I think a lot of Christians live like this. We don't know what we have. Spend our lives looking for God's presence, not realizing it's already here in our hands. See, God is here now, today, with us. God is here with us, and His power is unlocked in our lives when we walk by faith and obey His Word. It's that simple. 
Now, these Old Testament saints of God, they, they knew this. Verse 32 tells us this. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets. All these people in the Old Testament faced impossible odds, and yet they prevailed. Remember Gideon. Gideon was surrounded by the Midianites. He was threshing wheat in a wine press in a hole in the ground. Why? Because he was afraid that the Midianites would find and take his wheat. Can't blame the guy. He didn't want him to take his wheat. They had overrun the country and everyone was living in fear until God called Gideon to defeat them. Gideon wasn't so sure about this at first, but eventually God gave him the courage to take on the entire Midianite army with only 300 men. He didn't need an army of thousands because God was going to get credit for this victory, not the nation, not the people of Israel. 300 men and all they needed was faith. Then you have Barak. He served under Deborah, surrounded by Sisera's army. It was the most powerful army in the world at that time. They had the latest in military technology. They had 900 iron chariots. You see, while the rest of the world was back in the Bronze Age, Sisera's army had moved into the Iron Age. And they were a tough, they were a hard enemy. But Barak, he gathered together a ragtag group of volunteer men, an army of 10,000, and he went after them. And then what did God do? Well, God sent a flood. He bogged down those iron chariots in the mud. And Barak and his little volunteer army went to complete victory. Not one of the enemy was left to bother Israel ever again. Consider Samson. He attacked the forces of the Philistines with nothing more than a jawbone of a donkey. He killed a thousand men with a jawbone of a donkey. But later when Samson was surrounded by the Philistines, what did they do? Well, they gouged out his eyes and gave him the the job of an ox. Then they threw a big old party in their temple for their God. And they stood Samson up in the middle so they could make fun of him. But Samson cried out to God and God literally brought the house down on them. Jephthah, if you don't recognize that name, it's a good study in the Old Testament. You don't hear that much about this guy. He was actually a tough guy. He was very, very strong, a soldier, a warrior, and his mother was a prostitute. And so the nation of Israel, the people, they rejected him. Then the Ammonites overran the country, and suddenly everybody liked Jephthah. Everybody liked him then. Then he became their hero. And so the nation of Israel, the people, they begged him. They begged him to do something about it. The toughest guy they knew to lead them against the Ammonites. Jephthah discussed it with the Lord, and he led the nation to victory. David and his story, we know he faced Goliath and the jealous rage of Saul before he became the king. You know, by my count, at least 24 different times, Saul tried to kill David, but David waited. David continued. David endured. He didn't even retaliate. Once he became the king, he was surrounded by enemy nations that constantly just kept trying to destroy his kingdom. But David prevailed. He conquered his enemies. He expanded his kingdom and brought decades of peace to the nation of Israel. Samuel and the prophets, they fearlessly proclaimed God's word, even when others didn't want to hear what God had to say. And all of these people, they faced impossible odds, and yet they prevailed. How? How? Verse 33 has the answer. 
who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions. So how did they beat the great odds? How did they gain the victory? They did it through faith. They did it because they believed God. They did it because they depended on God's strength, not their own. Through faith, they stopped the mouths of lions. Surely a reference to Daniel in the lion's den. Now, Daniel, you remember, he was thrown into that lion's den because he dared to pray to God when the king made a decree against such prayers. God sent an angel to shut the mouths of those lions, and Daniel, he, he got a good night's sleep. He slept peacefully that night. Verse 34 tells us that through faith, they quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's big golden statue that he had pridefully made. So what did he do? Well, he ordered his, his soldiers to throw them into the fiery furnace, and the fire was so hot it cooked up the soldiers, but God somehow protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember the story, they came out of the fire, not even with the smell of smoke on their clothes. The Old Testament is filled it is filled with examples of men and women persevering and living by faith. Some of them subdued kingdoms. Joshua, David, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. Some worked righteousness and brought the people back to God. I'm thinking of Samuel at that point and David. The kings and the prophets, they obtained promises and saw some of them fulfilled in their lifetime. David wasn't the only one we read in the word of God who stopped the mouth of a lion. Samson did this. David did this. Escaping the edge of the sword in the text. Think of Jephthah and David and Elijah and Elisha. Some out of weakness were made strong. Samson, you remember, he regained his power, his strength, and he destroyed his enemies. Some became valiant in battle. Some sent the enemies running. You see, the message is that the believer in Christ can experience victory through our faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, there's going to be moments in our faith when we are tested, when we are tested, and God wants you to walk through those moments by faith. When you do walk by faith, have the courage to share those moments with the other Christians in your life. Encourage others that even during the storms, even during the trials, it's completely possible to continue to honor God and glorify God. You see, Hebrews 11, it lists out every type of person you can imagine. That's what's so beautiful about it. There's shepherds there. There's statesmen, there's prime ministers, a man inspired by God to write scripture, warriors, prophets, people martyred for their faith, but they are all trophies of the faith telling us this, that there's no trial, there's no kind of trial, there's no need that we have, there's no persecution that we could face, there's no experience in life where faith is not the answer. You see, verse 35 is about to tell us something important. Verse 35 is about to tell us that some had victories even over death, but others were tortured and killed. Hear me on this. Steadfast faith doesn't mean you get the outcome that you're looking for, but faith can operate in the life of any believer who will dare to listen to God's word and surrender to his will. Verse 35 
impacts everyone in this room. Read it with me. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Watch this contrast. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. You see, the transition in this verse is important to our faith. On the one hand, we read that women received their dead, raised to life again. When their sons died, they went to God's prophets, one to Elijah, one to Elisha. And their sons were raised from the dead. But don't skip the rest of the verse. Some of God's people were tortured. Some of God's people died because it's not faith in an outcome that we're looking for. It is faith in God and his will. See, I can't tell you how many times as a pastor, I've seen God's people facing some of the toughest times, some of the most difficult things I've ever seen in my life. I've seen people lying sick in a hospital bed, confronted by misguided people, giving them books, giving them teachings, telling them that if you just have enough faith, you're going to be healed. Run from that garbage. Run from that garbage. Because that is a dangerous lie from the pits of hell. I know better than most that God can heal. I do. I know better than most what it is like when God works in a very sick body and keeps you alive years and decades after doctors thought was possible. But I also know that God does not have to heal in order to prove that I have faith. You see, there's another side to the Christian faith that we don't like to talk about. It's about learning how to suffer, but we can persevere in pain by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can endure difficulties by depending on Christ. The author of Hebrews is telling us that great men and women of faith had the victory, but many, many Old Testament saints, many suffered. Men and women of faith experienced miracles, but others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. See, the author is telling us that some of the saints who walked before were beaten to death, refusing to renounce their faith, refusing to worship a pagan God. So they chose to die knowing that they would receive the reward when they were resurrected. Donald Gray Barnhouse, he's with the Lord now, but he told of the painful time when his wife died. I can't imagine the difficulties and the trials at that time. And he was driving their children to her funeral. And he was struggling as a father how to explain death to the children. And they were sitting at an intersection when a semi-truck crossed in front of them at this intersection. And the truck cast a shadow on their car. And he asked his children, would you rather be hit by the truck or would you rather be hit by the shadow. And the shadow, of course, came the answer. And they then explained that the loss of their mother was the shadow of death because Christ, Jesus Christ, took the full impact of death for us. And it is the lost sinner who will be struck by the semi of death. And see, this is why Paul in the New Testament tells us that we should not weep. We should not mourn with the same type of loss that the lost have. Christians should not fear death. Most do today, but they shouldn't. They should fear the one instead who took the full impact of death for their sins and had the power to rise again. Verse 36 and verse 37 in your text. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. 
It's been rightly said that it takes more faith to endure persecution than it does to escape it. It takes more faith to suffer than it does to be successful. You know, what do we do? We're always looking for an escape. We're always looking for a way out instead of running to God, instead of turning to God first when we have problems. We run away looking for an answer anywhere we can find it, and too often it's in the world. But sometimes, friends, we need to refocus and endure the pain and endure the sufferings by trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God can guide us through any trial, any problem. God can strengthen us to handle anything that comes our way. Some of the believers in Christ that have gone before, in fact, I would dare say a lot of the believers that have gone before us were mocked, they were scourged, they were whipped, they were beaten with rods, some were put into chains and imprisoned. Think of Joseph, think of Jeremiah, Zechariah the priest was stoned. Tradition tells us that Isaiah was sawn in two. Isaiah had prophesied the destruction of the temple, and so Manasseh ordered for his arrest. And we know that Isaiah fled to the hill country and hid in the trunk of a big cedar tree. And Isaiah was discovered and tortured with a saw because he had hid in this tree. Uriah, he was slain with a sword. See, some of God's people wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, probably a reference to Elijah, Elisha, and Ezekiel, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. This is how some of God's people were treated, left homeless and living in isolation in dens and caves, living in hunger, considered to be the filth of this world. And so let me ask you this. Why do you think you deserve better? Why do you think you deserve better to be treated any better by an unredeemed world that hates Jesus Christ? Why? You see, the trials and struggles are meant to strengthen our faith. They're here for a reason. By faith, our weakness can be turned into strength, the strength of Jesus Christ. Faith produces a righteous life that pleases God. It's not just about coming to church. It's not just about one hour a week. It's about living for Jesus Christ by faith, living to walk with the Creator, living for a better life that begins when we die. It is to dare to have confidence in God's grace so certain of his truth written down for us that you will stake your life on it. Pain and suffering is not the exception in this fallen world. Let me say that again. Pain and suffering is not the exception in this fallen world. We're spoiled in the Western world. We're spoiled in the American church. Pain and suffering is the normal. Expect it. So why should we not go through it? If it doesn't happen to us, glory to God. Praise God if it does not happen. But if we understand that pain, suffering, and death are all a part of living on a planet that is condemned to be judged by God, then we don't play the victim every time something bad happens to us. Instead, we take our confidence from Jesus Christ. Instead, we live in the joy of Christ, trusting God even when we face the hard, difficult times. And so look at what he says in verse 38 about those who have gone before he says, of whom the world was not worthy. That's how God views his people. Of whom the world was not worthy. Why? They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Sometimes the reward comes on the other side of the grave. Those who accept death without turning back from Christ are those that the world is not worthy of because they do not turn away from God. 
and how they lived, rejected by men and left to wander as strangers in this world, showed the world that it's not worthy to claim such saints as their own because their home is in heaven with God. See, faith in God does not guarantee comfort in this world, but faith, it does look to the future, doesn't it? Verse 39, in all these having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. The Old Testament saints, they only had shadows of what we have. We have the substance in Christ. They had good things, but in Christ we have better things. These men and women of faith did not experience all that God had promised. These people did not live to see the kingdom, but their future citizenship was secure there. God did not forget them. God did not reject them. They had a good testimony. They were heroes of the faith. They maintained their faith because they were not content with the success of this life, this world, this place that we live in. They would have to await the kingdom of God because God wanted us to be a part of that kingdom too the day when his people will be made perfect or complete in him, because on that day, God will fulfill all that he's promised. See, whether they lived or died, whether God rescued them or allowed them to suffer, these men and women all stand as a witness to you, to me, of what it means to walk by faith until the day of the messianic kingdom when all God's people from all the ages can stand together. His work in us will be complete to be rewarded to live and serve in his kingdom to the praise of his glory. In his book, What God Thinks When We Fail, Stephen Roy tells a story, and that's all it is. It's just a story, but it's a story about a young violinist who lived in London many, many years ago, and he was an unbelievable musician. And he was deathly afraid of large crowds. So he avoided giving concerts. And he endured constant criticism for refusing to give concerts. And he finally agreed to perform in the largest concert hall in London. And the young violinist, he came onto the stage and he sat alone, just sitting there on a stool all by himself. And he put his violin underneath his chin and he played for an hour and a half straight. No music in front of him, no orchestra behind him, no breaks, no bathroom breaks, just an hour and a half of absolutely beautiful violin music. And after 10 minutes or so, many of the critics, they actually began to put down their pads and they just listened like all the rest. Well, after the performance, the crowd rose to its feet and they began applauding with just a passion, but they wouldn't stop. The young violinist, he didn't even acknowledge the applause. He just kept peering out into this huge audience as if he were looking for something or someone. And finally, he found what he was looking for. Relief came over his face, and he began to acknowledge the cheers. And after the concert, the critics met the young violinist backstage, and they told him, you were wonderful, but one question, we have one question for you. Why did it take you so long to acknowledge the applause of the audience? And he took a deep, deep breath, and he answered, you know, I was really afraid of playing here, yet this was something I, I knew I needed to do. Tonight, just before I came onto the stage, I received word that my master teacher would be in the audience. And throughout the concert, I, I began to look for him. I tried to look for him, but I could never find him. 
So after I finished playing, I started to look more intently throughout the audience. I was so eager to find my teacher that I could not even hear the applause. I just had to know what he thought of my playing. That was all that mattered. And finally, I found him high up in the balcony. He was standing. He was applauding with a big smile on his face. And after seeing him, I was able to finally relax. And I said to myself, listen to these words. If the master is pleased with what I've done, then everything else is okay. There is peace in these words for the believer in Jesus Christ. If the master is pleased with what I've done, then everything else is okay. This teaching is the same ground that we find in Hebrews 11, isn't it? We are to be a people unto God, a people who find success in him, not on how the world defines it. To be a people who never make the focus on gaining the approval of lost men for our own glory. To be a people who look for the approval of God, to live with a testimony of faith before him. The Bible says that God is pleased by our faith when we walk by faith, when we live with trust in the creator. Whether we succeed or whether we suffer in life, God is pleased when we choose to depend on him. And a believer with this faith active in their life will one day hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. So learn to be content in him. Learn his contentment. Learn to live in his peace. Find his joy that comes by walking with him. See, I think about this often, and I wonder to myself a few things. I wonder if we as Christians live like we believe that God has a destination in mind for us in glory that is far better than anything that we have today, here and now. I wonder if we live like we believe that God cares about every action that we take, every thought of the heart, and every concern in our lives. I wonder if we live much different than the lost. I wonder if we stand when opposition comes, or do we just kind of melt away into the world with little testimony for Jesus Christ? Do we live in fear? You know, fear in this life can consume you. So walk by faith, walk that narrow path instead of living with fear of the unredeemed or living with fear of the future instead of living in fear of the unknown. By faith, live for whatever God has for you in the good times and in the trials. But either way, live to be approved unto God. So live boldly for the Lord. Live with a focused sense of purpose, a focused journey in life. Faith is the only right path for God's people. So follow that path. Follow that path of faith. Follow the Lord until he takes us home. And may the Lord increase our faith. May the Lord increase our trust in him. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com. 
or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.